the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, we're going to start a new series tonight, and we're just going to simply call it Colossians. Because we're going to do expository teaching through the book of Colossians. Just chapter by chapter. And uh, we don't do that a lot, but sometimes I feel like, you know, that's needed. I don't want to be just a, a one-dimensional preacher. I think God wants us to to get different things at different times. And I feel like this is where we're headed. So tonight's first message is just simply going to be titled, Supreme. Supreme. How do you like that word, Big Joe? That's it. Supreme. supreme. You don't want the regular, you want the supreme. You want the supreme in your life, don't you? Especially when you don't have to pay extra for it. <laughs> Some years ago, when I was probably in my early 20s or so, I was playing in a kind of a country band. It wasn't really country, it was like rocking country. You know, it was like, what do you call it? outlaw country and we was trying to be like hank williams jr or something anyway we was playing all these different places and somebody invited us to play at the agri center in memphis and that's a pretty big building we were thinking well we need to bring our big pa for that you know and so we got there and there was a stage and we got it all set up and we set up all of our equipment we was going to try to be loud enough for this big building and as we were setting up other people came in setting up i kept noticing all these dogs and then i realized this is a dog show and we've been invited to play a dog show. Not unusual. <laughs> That's just one of the things we've played in my time. But we started playing our first song when that thing kicked off. And it was like, arr, arr. dogs started howling. Dogs started running. People started chasing dogs all over the Agri Center. And the people that hired us, they come running. And they was like, and they, we just came to a stop in the middle of our first song. And they said, oh, we didn't expect this. Can, can y'all cut it down? We said, okay, we'll try, we'll try. And we all reached back and turned our amps down about halfway. And we started playing again, same thing. And the dogs running everywhere and, and people running everywhere chasing dogs. Finally, they just come, somebody come over and said, ho, 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 how much we owe y'all? <laughs> we said $500 he said let me go ahead and pay y'all now I'm sorry we went, we didn't think this thing out y'all can just go y'all don't have to play we were like cool best gig ever <laughs> no <clears throat> we got our money and we was up out of there now we didn't do anything wrong but somebody lost sight of what they were having there and thought it would be a good idea to have a live band at the dog show. They missed the whole point of what they were trying to do. And that's the way a lot of us live our lives. We're missing the whole point. We're like trying to have a live band at a dog show. 
That's what our life looks like sometimes. Outrageous. It's like, you doing what? Now, who told you to do that? What were you thinking? You're missing the whole point. And see, that's why we're going to talk about the church at Colossae. That's where you get the, the word Colossians because they were from the town of Colossae. It was a church had, that had begun to miss the point. They were a church that had started off strong in the teaching about Jesus Christ, but they had allowed some preachers from who knows where to come up in there and start getting them off track, starting inviting bands to the dog show and getting them to miss the point of Jesus Christ. So here Paul is writing to this church and he's trying to restore those foundations that we talked about. You got to know in whom you believe. You got to know what you believe. And you got to you got to pray until you know what you're supposed to do in your life so you don't look like a dog show with a live band and things running. Some of our we wonder why everything's running and there's us howling in the back of our head. Because we're missing the whole point of what God wants us to do. And the first chapter of Colossians. Well, I couldn't pick a better book to sum up what God's doing. I mean, if I was on a desert island somewhere and I was with somebody that didn't know anything about Jesus and I couldn't have the whole Bible, I could just have one chapter of the Bible. I might say, could I have Colossians chapter 1 because I want to explain to this person. It might be a good chapter. Have you? How many of you have read Colossians? <clears throat> Those of you who make it a daily habit to read your word, you're being spiritually fed. If you don't make it currently a daily habit, then you need to do all that's within you to change that situation and begin to read the Word of God. Because you are a spirit, you understand, and your spirit needs nourishment. And Jesus says, my words are spirit and they are life. They are life to your spirit. We feed our natural man three times a day. Some of us more. But it, we got to feed our spirit man. We wonder why we're drained and, and we start cussing again. I don't know, I ain't said a cuss word in three weeks. And, there, and I was, you start being rude and mean and, and you just ain't acting yourself. You ain't acting your holy self and your, your halo's getting crooked or something, you know? It's because you're not feeding your spirit, man. And you've got to make that a habit. You can't just... How many of you have ever wanted to pray? But when you, when you thought, I need to go pray, but at the same time, that devourer came and said, no, you need to mow the yard. Or you need to take out the trash. You would do anything to stop praying. Your flesh and the devil working together would do anything to stop you from praying. You can't ask yourself, do you want to pray? And just do it haphazardly or read the Bible. You got to set some boundaries in your life. They're like guardrails to keep you on track. Prayer and reading the Bible. Keep you in the center of God's will. You've got to do that. You understand? Now, I'm preaching all that for free. But this Colossians book. We're going to just go ahead and turn to Colossians. And then we're going to start with John chapter 20. 
I thought you said we were going through Colossians. We are. But I'm just going to mention a story out of John chapter 20. Now, after Jesus was raised from the dead, and before his disciples had actually seen him, they were all gathered together in a room, and it says Jesus suddenly appeared. Now, that sounds like he just came through the wall, right? But he's got his new resurrected body. It, you can touch him and everything, but, but it's just a better body than the ones we got. It can do miraculous stuff. It can ascend to heaven. It could magically appear. And so he came and he appeared among them and they were all rejoicing. Our Savior's alive. And, and th- you can imagine the joy in that place because they had just saw him crucified. And some of them had to be doubting in their hearts. And speaking of doubting, there was one fellow that wasn't there. One of the disciples didn't make it. Do you remember which one that was? Thomas. They call him Doubting Thomas, don't they? Thomas wasn't there. And I wonder why Thomas wasn't there. Was he like, did he go out grocery shopping for the group? Was he at Kroger's? Did he go down to the Dollar General? He was supposed to be back by now or something. Where where was Thomas? If you think about it, it might just be that Thomas had saw Jesus die on that cross. And he had put so much hope in him being the Savior, him being the Messiah. And now he sees him dead and he thinks to himself, man, I've been wrong all this time. And maybe he loses sight of his major point of his life. And maybe he's just like, I'm through with it. I'm through with it. And that's what happens when you lose sight of Jesus. I'm just telling you, he, he's not there when all the rest of them are there. The others, they may have been mumbling and complaining and saying, I don't know what we're going to do now, but at least they were still holding together. But Thomas wasn't there. And everybody else is excited because Jesus has shown up and they know he's God now. They saw him die. They know he's been resurrected. They know this ain't normal. They know he is who he has said he is all along. And he has confirmed it. By his resurrection from the dead. But Thomas came back after Jesus had left. Or else, you know it doesn't say Thomas came back. They may have went and found Thomas. (laughs) They may have said, where's Thomas? Well, he, he left. Let's go find him. They went and maybe went and got Thomas. And they said, Thomas, we saw Jesus. And Jesus and Thomas said, no, I won't believe it. I can't believe it until I put my fingers in his nail-scarred hands and into his side. And that's why they called him Doubting Thomas because he wouldn't believe until he saw with his eyes, right? But maybe it's just that Thomas had lost hope. I want to make seven major points tonight before we close. And I'm not going to belabor them. and we're, I'm going to try to get you out here on time. But if we, in Colossians chapter 1, let's go to verse, start in verse 4. It says for, first, you know, the first three verses are his salutation, his greeting in the letter he wrote, Paul's writing to the church in Colossae. And then in the fourth verse, he says, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus 
and your love for all of God's people. So this this church must have had been on fire at one person at one point because he says, "I've heard of your faith. Y'all guys got a reputation of being a faith-filled church, and you got a reputation of loving all folks. Do you have a reputation of being a faith person? Do you have a reputation of loving folks? That's kind of the description of a Christian, isn't it? We shall be known for our love for one another, and love worketh by faith, and faith worketh by love. Those two kind of go hand in hand. But if that's true, I mean, we all say that's true. And I see everybody's head nodding. But is Jesus the first person you turn to when you get in trouble? Or is he the last resort after you've done everything you know to do in your natural strength? See, faith is trusting Christ first. It's rushing to him with everything. It's praying things out on the front end so you don't get yourself into so many jams. And love, well, are your church friends expendable? We shall be known by our love for one another. And this church was known for its love for one another. But I look out, not this church, but I see a lot of churches today. If, you know, somebody may go to church here and they see some, the pastor doesn't say hello to them that morning and they get offended and they just yank their family out of children's church and they go visit another church. And they're gone over the least little things. And their church brothers and sisters that they said that they loved have suddenly become expendable. Doesn't mean that much to them. Do we really love one another? Other than a, a surface type. And, and if we don't, as a body of Christ, what do we do? How do we really begin to get involved in one another's lives? So that we really, really love one another. It's good that God gives us a love for each other, but it should make a difference in how we act towards one another. And, how, and when, it, when the rubber meets the road, do we forgive one another? Are we merciful to one another? Do we want to spend time with one another? Verse 5. So they've got faith, they've got love. And it says, which comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Say confident hope. You see, these things come, they can only come because we really believe that there is a heaven. That we really believe that Jesus has been resurrected. We're not like, like Doubting Thomas leaving his church friends. They're expendable. If we really believe that Jesus is who He says He is, and that He's gone to prepare a place for us because He loves us and He's up there and they're keeping good records of the things that we do in our earthly body because there'll be rewards in heaven. We would be more serious about the things of God. And we would love one another. We would have faith. I mean, if you know that Christ is for you, I'm, t I'm talking about a rubber meets the road kind of faith. Not just the church, the pastor was good today kind of faith. 
But then right back to your natural lives. But a, a believe God for your healing on Thursday kind of life. Not just when the pastor's there to lay hands on you. I'm talking to you walk in love at Walmart on Friday. I'm talking about you walking through Kroger's on Saturday when it's busy instead of just throwing your stuff in the basket and get out of my way. Seeing folks with the eyes of Christ. And letting people go in front of you and, and asking and smiling and trying to change the atmosphere where you go. That's what kind of faith I'm talking about. And if you got that real confident hope that Jesus is up there watching and you do everything you do as if unto the Lord, it will change the way you act on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And not just on Sunday. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. See, truth has a way of setting you free from the old ways. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. And it is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Have you been changed? It's changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Our lives need to be bearing fruit. Producing godly things. We need to have the fruit of the Spirit in our life. There needs to be evidence of our salvation. So that leads me to my first point. Your authentic hope in Christ will inspire faith and love and produce fruit. Now, we're not all lovey-dovey all the time. and We're not all faith monsters every day. We all have our points. But if it's not, if the authentic faith that you have in Christ, it will begin to make a difference in you. You will be drawing and being more and more like Christ. More Christ-like every day. God will begin to change you as you pursue Him. Authentic Christians don't have to let it be known They've already let it be shown. Is there enough evidence to convict you of your Christianity in the court of law? Do people have to say, oh, you're a Christian? Really? That would be embarrassing. <clears throat> so the first point is authentic Christianity is going to make a difference in your life. The second point Verse 8 says, He told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. My second point is hope and love are gifts of the Holy Spirit. We don't just work these things up in the natural. These things are given by the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13 says, You'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 5, 5, it says, And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us, what? The Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with what? Love. 
So the Holy Spirit gives us hope and the Holy Spirit fills us with love. And half the church in America doesn't even know the Holy Spirit exists. And we wonder why we're a powerless church at times. And why we're not in, affecting the culture of our country more than we are. And why we're so comfortable not producing fruit. So comfortable just biding our time, looking for the sweet by and by, like we're just waiting, waiting on Jesus to get back. Like we got our ticket, we're good. And we leave the church and we go out in the parking lot and cuss each other over the parking spots and I'm just trying to be funny, but sometimes it ain't funny. You can't be a powerhouse of faith, hope, and love and reject the Holy Spirit at the same time. And that's what a lot of churches do. And we have purposed not to do that. This, the Holy Spirit, this is His church. Can you imagine not welcoming the Holy Spirit to His own church? Then you don't have a church if the Holy Spirit is not here. You have a country club. Verse 9 of our text. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Paul says, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding Paul saying get big get big I was playing basketball with my son Joshua and he was backing me down you know and the goal was back here and I was trying to guard him he's getting big you know <laughs> and he was knocking me backwards and he was taunting me saying get big get big and then he did a fade away and hit two points on me and I'm like, what's this get big thing you're talking about? He says, that's what they all say, get big. That's what they say in the NBA. You better get big if you're going to stop me. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, in our Christianity, it's time to get big. Get bigger on the inside. Get a knowledge of His will. Get a knowledge of His wisdom and His understanding. So that we can be big. We can be big brothers and sisters to a church that's in desperate need of some guidance. We've got a lot of people that come only on Sundays. And they need a big brother. They need a big sister. Somebody put their arm around them. And say, let me take you to lunch. How you doing in your spiritual walk? I tell you what. Won't you come with me to prayer Tuesday night? Won't you come with me to sidewalk stories Monday? And, and I'll show you the joy of serving the Lord. Won't you come on Wednesday nights? It'll take you to the next level. It'll challenge your life. It's time to get big. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, verse 10. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God gooder and gooder. <clears throat> Sheffield translation. 
So that leads me to point number three. The bigger we grow in Christ, the more fruit we produce. And God is in the fruit business. He's a fruit inspector. When He looks at your life, He wants fruit. He wants you producing peace, love, and joy, faithfulness, goodness, kindness. Long-suffering, all those things that the Holy Spirit is, is in you to do. And He wants you to be, and, and the fruit you produce is for others to partake of. The tree doesn't eat of itself. But it produces for those around because we've got to die in a hurting world. We've got to reach. The bigger we grow, you've got to get big. It's imperative that we get big and get off the milk. And get on the meat of God's Word. The meat is just hearing it and letting it go in one ear and out the other. But the meat, I mean the milk, but the meat is putting it in action. You can be, in the, you can be a Christian for six hours and be producing more fruit than some of these people been sitting on a pew for 30 years. I can promise you. Some people just go to church like it's their profession. Like that's just what they do, but they've never done anything for the kid. They've never produced any fruit. They just, they think they're the fruit inspectors. They, they inspect everybody else's fruit. And point out what everybody else is doing wrong. That's negative fruit. That's rotting the fruit of others. But you can just get born again on Sunday morning and, and, and Sunday afternoon. You can be nice to your wife and God will be, that's some fruit. That's a start. You can be producing fruit right away. Where are we at? Verse 11. Say it's getting gooder and gooder. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all of his glorious power. So that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. We love to have God's power. But we don't like that word patience and endurance. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. Well, there you go. Joy and thankfulness is the, the answer to endurance and patience. If you're going to endure, you're going to have patience. See, this ain't no sprint that we're in. This is a marathon for most of us. I mean, some people go quick, but most of us may live 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. And that's day after day. And if you don't have patience and you don't have endurance, you'll, you'll slip away. You'll slip away. You may have started strong, but you're like a shooting star up. I'm through with that. And we got to be careful because it's the one who endures to the end shall be saved. I don't know what that means. Okay. <clears throat> but may you be filled with joy and have a thankful heart. If you stir yourself, what, what do you do tonight? Stir that joy up. Stir up the joy of the Lord. Stir it up. Stir up that thankfulness. 
Stop looking at the negative side of everything. Force yourself to begin to see the good things that God has done in your life. You ain't got nothing else. If you if you having a bad case of the mully grumps, just walk around in your house and say, thank you, God, for that, that cushiony couch. Thank you, I got a bed to sleep on. Lord, thank you for the hot water that's working in here. I can take a shower in the morning. Thank you, I got a 32-inch TV right here. And one day I'm looking to get a 48. We got more things than the rest of the world ever dreamed about having. We can, I mean, thank you for this breath in my lungs. Thank you that I live in a country that I can be free to worship you, free to pursue whatever my heart longs to do, not oppressed, not depressed. And if you are depressed, this is the kind of thing to get you unpressed. Whatever pressure you're having, just start being thankful. Stir up the joy of the Lord. It's your strength. And it'll give you endurance and patience. These are things, we're talking about guardrails again. Reading the word, praying, stirring up joy, stirring up thankfulness. It don't matter where your car is, it's going to bounce back into the road. You got them things settled in your life. The devil can come and try to put one of them maneuvers on you and spin you around. You'll spin around. It's like being at the bowling alley when you got the rails up. You still going to hit the pins. These are things that you do to make sure you never fail. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live where? In the light. See, we're light dwellers. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So number four is joy and thankfulness keep the light on in our lives. Keep us living in the light. A sad, complaining Christian has defeated themselves already. We can be our worst enemy. I mean, the devil's going to throw the thoughts at you. Yeah, look how they treated you. Yeah, you hear what they said? Yeah, you don't make as much as they do. Yeah, this, that. You, you feel kind of bad today, don't you? Yeah, I do. And you find yourself saying, yeah. <laughs> He's done talked you into being sad. You become a star that don't shine. You're like a Timex and you ain't ticking. There's a saying that says, some cause happiness wherever they go. Others, whenever they go. Which one are you? Now, in your Bible, before you get to verse 15, it probably has a header that says something like this. Christ is supreme. The exalted Christ. That means high and lifted up. Now look up supreme, the definition. It's highest in rank or authority. He's high as you go. I'm going to tell on you. Well, I'm going to tell on you. I know the most high God. When I used to preach, back when the warriors used to come here a long time ago, there was a guy 
And every time I'd preach and, and I, he'd get excited about something or every time Pastor Paul would preach, he'd say, he's the most high God. He would, he would always say, he's the most high God. Do you remember him? The most high God. But he's got a vision of who God is. If you get an understanding that, that if God be for you, there ain't nobody that can be against you. It will radically rock your world and your understanding of who's for you and who's on your side. And you won't get all depressed and sad and thinking, I ain't going to make it. He's the highest. He's high as it goes. There ain't nobody above him. He's the highest in authority. Of course, in the Father. And him and the Father are one, right? He's the highest in degree or quality is another definition for supreme. Highest quality. And then the third definition is the ultimate and the final. The final. He's the omega. He's the beginning, the alpha, and he's the, the, the end, the omega. He's the A to Z. He's all wrapped into one. He ha he's without beginning and without end. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't take a vacation when you need him. He's not like those sons of Baal that their God went to the bathroom while they was, he was calling on them. <laughs> Elijah said, he said, you call on your God and we'll see which one answers. And they was calling on their God and cutting themselves and ble bleeding and all these ceremonies trying to get their God to answer. And Elijah said, where'd your God go? You think he's in the bathroom? But not our God. He never sleeps. Never slumbers. He never leaves you. Never forsakes you. Christ is supreme. Verse 15 says, Christ is the, vi <clears throat> the visible image of the invisible God. He became one of us so that we could take a look at what God looks like. Because God is a spirit. And before that, nobody had ever seen God at any time. Says in John. But we got to take, we got to lay our eyes on the visible image of God in the flesh. He existed before anything was created and is, is supreme. There's that word, say supreme, over all creations. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth, all the galaxies and far away, and this little bitty tiny earth. It's in the middle of the Milky Way galaxy, a little small galaxy. Looked like a dust cloud in the heaven. And he created all, everything. He's so big. The expanse of the universe is so huge. But at the same time, he created a gnat's navel. I'm talking, he put the blood in a gnat's veins. And then you get down on the micro level. We've got down into the DNA level. And 
we're still finding that there's cities within those DNA. And the psalmist said that, I'm, thank you for making me wonderfully complex. He's big, but he's in the small. He's our all and in all. He's awesome. He's supreme. He made the things we can see and the things that we can't see, even with the Hubble, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. We just see in the natural world. We don't even get to see into the spiritual world except through a glass darkly. We have no idea the battles that's going on in the heavenly realms, the archangel Michael whooping on the devil daily. We don't get to see it. It's the things in the spiritual realm are more real than these because these will vanish. But the spiritual things will last forever. We just see just so limited. But He made it all. He controls it all. He's supreme over it all. Everything. You can appeal to the Supreme Court if you want, but I appeal to a higher court, to my Supreme God. Everything was created through Him and for Him. People talk about, well, I'm not going to serve a God that does that. Who told you you could make up the God you want? If there's something you don't like about God, well, tough. Get with the program. But I ain't found nothing yet that I don't like. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. So if he wanted to, he could say, done with it. We'd be gone like that. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. Why is he first? Because he came down here as the first to die and the first to be resurrected for us. So that we could be resurrected with him. Many brothers and sisters that he has brought to the kingdom of God. He, so he is first in everything. I'm telling you, we forget who our God is sometimes. We got to stir ourselves up. Stir yourselves up. That, that's point five. Jesus is God. The devil loves to skirt around this fact and kind of muddy the waters here and think, well, he's the son of God, but I don't know if he, he's God. Did you just read? He created everything. Everything was created for him and by him. He is supreme over everything. What do you mean he's just the son of God? And, and, and the son of God is still God. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Have I been so long with you, Philip, that you don't recognize the Father? You're looking at him. But the devil wants to cloud those things. And then, so in comes the cults, like the Jehovah Witnesses. They read the same Bibles that we do. They just change a little word in here and there. But they will tell you, oh, we believe in Jesus. And they say he's the Son of God. But you ask them, is he God? Mm -mm. What about Islam? They call him Isa in their Quran. 
And they acknowledged that he existed. And so they said, we believe in Jesus. No, you don't. They say that he's just a prophet. But he's more than a prophet. A prophet don't say that I am. Prophet don't say when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's either a raven lunatic or he is who he says he is. So you got false religions like that. But let me assure you, if you are not worshiping the Jesus that is God, then you need you you're not a Christian. You're you're worshiping a false Jesus. I think this passage says Christ is supreme. He is God. Don't let anybody talk you out of that. He is God. Not just the Son of God, like the Son of God is not God. He is God. <clears throat> Verse 19. That was, let me see what we got so far. Woo! I'm having so much fun, I can't stop. Your authentic hope in Christ will inspire faith, love, and produce fruit, number one. Number two is hope and love are a gift of the Holy Spirit. Number three, the bigger we grow, we get big, the more fruit we produce. Number four, joy and thankfulness keep the light on in our life. Number five, Jesus is God. This is a pretty good chapter, ain't it? You think them are important things? <clears throat> Number six. Number six, let's see, verse 19. For God in all his full, fullness was pleased to live in Christ. See, the fullness of God was in Christ. All of him, the deity of the Father was in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. We know that. That's how he saved us. He took our place. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were His enemies, separated by Him through your evil thoughts and actions. And that's like a punch in the gut because I know it to be true. Yet now He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. As a result, He has brought you into His own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. What? How many came into here tonight saying, I'm holy and I'm blameless without a single fault? Why? Because we're looking at ourselves. But our lives are hid with God in Christ Jesus. Maybe we're not, we're not acting holy and blameless without a single fault right now, but positionally we already are in God's sight because we're, our lives are hid with Christ, God within, in Christ Jesus. We're hid in Jesus. And the more we begin to see ourselves like God sees us, the more we become what God wants us to be. The more we say, I'm a knucklehead, I, I'm, I'm a backslider, I backslide every couple of years, I'll probably go for a couple of weeks and then I'll, I'll slide back out of church, you won't see me no more, because uh, I know myself. I'm going to get back on the drugs. Man, I'm really having a hard time. I know uh, this, this, that. We just run our own selves down and we see our old selves and we don't see the transformed new self that God has put on the inside of us. We don't believe who God, what God has done in us. 
You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And God tells us to be ye holy as I am holy. He wouldn't tell you to be holy if it weren't possible. All you got to do is be your, your new self. Follow the spirit and put to death the deeds of the flesh. Stop identifying with the old dead man and start identifying with the new resurrected man. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Woo! That'll preach. So that leads me to number six. Jesus' death canceled the sin debt. And if you read 2 Corinthians 5, you see that God is up there no longer counting our sins against us. And so people don't go to hell because of sin. They go to hell because they reject so great a salvation. They reject the pardon God written with His own Son's blood and offered them. And they reject it and said, I don't want it. I got this. I'm good. I ain't believing in none of that stuff. And they trample on the blood of Jesus. And so God simply gives them what they want. A life apart from God. In a place called hell. And that's what hell is. Being apart from life. In heaven there's life because Jesus and the Father are the light and the life of the place. But separation from God is death. Eternal death. Where there's darkness and gnashing of teeth. A a, a twisting of your insides thinking forever and ever, why did I reject? I could be in heaven right now, but I'm in these flames and this torment and I can't die and I want to. And meanwhile, we're over here squabbling about parking spots as Christians. And not showing that love. And not setting ourselves apart. And not making the kingdom of God attractive to these lost people. They need to see the love of God in action. Because they, what they have seen has repulsed them. Judgmental, self-righteous people pointing fingers at them. Pointing fingers at the people Jesus Said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His resurrection allows us to live in such communion with Him that we can stand firmly in this holiness to which we are called. That's part of number six. You don't feel holy, you don't feel blameless, you don't see yourself being there. But you just keep getting closer to Jesus and you watch the transformation. That's our main thing here on the earth. Is to stay close to Jesus. To get to know Him through that prayer, through that Bible reading, through worship. Everything that He has asked us to do is to come in closer proximity to life Himself. I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Not a far off 
ray of light every now and then, but a full face on, seeing the glory of God revealed in your life. Verse 23 says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Don't be like that seed that fell on the shallow ground, sprung up for a moment, was excited about the things of God, but then let the, let the, the, the persecution and the, and the sun come and scorch it and, and, and the, the ones that fell among the thorns and just the cares and stuff became, what, what is there to care about down here other than other souls? Really? Some, what did somebody tell me the other day? They said, oh, somebody said, I want my life to be remembered. I said, ain't nobody going to remember none of this stuff down here. When we get to heaven, we ain't going to think about what happened down here. Other than I wish I would have done more so I'd have had more rewards up here because I'm going to be here forever. It's really silly the way we think. We think on such a small level. If you skip on down to verse 28, it says, So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all the wisdom that God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. Say relationship. He said, that's why I work so hard, so struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works in me. He doesn't go out there doing it himself. He, he's filled with the Holy Ghost. And that's Christ's mighty power working in him. But he, his job is to give everything he's got to bring other people into this same relationship so they can know this goodness that he has experienced. And that leads to number seven. God's goal has always been relationship. That's the whole thing. The supreme commander of the universe willingly died just so that there could be a reset between you and Him in the relationship. That there would no longer be a sin separation, separating the two of you. That you could come back to Him. Think about that the next time you're searching for an excuse not to pray or to read your Bible. That Jesus died on the cross so that you could spend that time with Him. He gave everything he had. He's up there right now. He's probably saying, Father, can we go get them yet? Can we go get them? I told him I was coming back. I told him I was preparing a place that where I am, they can be also. He wants to wrap you up in his arms right now. And the only thing holding him back is we ain't telling the other folks. And he don't want to leave without them. But it's all about the relationship. In John 20, 26, it says eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. And the doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Must be cool. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer believe and you know what thomas said after seeing jesus resurrected standing before him i saw you dead and here you are 
That means you're the Messiah. What did Thomas say? He said, my Lord and my God. He said, you're God. And you're my Lord. You're my Lord and my God. He called Jesus God. He recognized Him for who He is. And He says, because you're God, because I saw you resurrected, because I saw your love for mankind, I was hurt when I didn't understand, but now that I understand, you're my Lord. And I will follow you. And I want you to know Thomas, old Doubting Thomas, they called him, he got a bad rap because he was only Doubting Thomas for eight days. But he went on to plant like seven churches in India to the point where the, the devil got so unnerved by Thomas that he had him uh, martyred for his faith. He died for Jesus. Doesn't sound like a doubter anymore, does it? He's my Lord and my God. I don't know who Jesus is to you, but He's my Lord and I know He's God. And because He's God, I know He's got this. He's got whatever we put in His hands. And because He died for me, will He not freely give me everything else that I need to live according to His will? If He gave His only begotten Son, if God Himself crawled in some flesh, called Jesus and came down here and spilt His own blood, God's blood, came to the earth He created and we couldn't find room for Him in the end. But He came and He suffered the humiliation and the insults and lived in this crazy world and died on our crazy cross. He would do all that for us. Man, He died for us. He's asking us to live for Him. I'm going to do it. I'm going to have bad days, yeah. I'm going to forget sometimes. I want you to help stir me up. I'm trying to help stir you up. We got to stir one another. That's why he gave us a church. That's why he gave us a home here. Brothers and sisters that are pursuing the same things, wanting the same things to, to bring others into relationship with Christ, to help develop our lives so that we're producing more fruit, so that we can wrap this thing up and we can all go home together and not leave one behind. We have purpose, we have cause. We're not pew sitters. We're fruit producers for the kingdom of God. Don't miss the point of your life. Get big. Get big. Play big boy ball. Ain't you tired of the devil bumping you around and scoring on you? Smack his stuff. Slam dunk in his face. Get big. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? Lord, I thank you for this word tonight. I didn't mean to stir myself up so much, but I did. I thank you that your word does that. And I pray that there's somebody here that hasn't developed the habit of reading your word daily. That you'll show them what they need to do. 
You'll show them where to start. If they don't know, they can come talk to me after the service. How to get started. Lord, I pray that, that if there's somebody in here that's, that's got a depression or an oppression or any of those pressions on them, Lord, I pray that it's broken right now in the name of Jesus. By the Spirit of God that's in this place. Greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. And they see themselves as holy and blameless without one single fault. And we begin to picture ourselves the way God pictures us so that we can rise to the level that he has called us. And not to the level we see ourselves when we were broke and broke down and broke out. I thank you, Lord, you're doing something in his people. I thank you that this is a church on the move. We're going to grow this this uh, congregation into a, a people in unity and one accord that you can pour your spirit out upon. A one flesh that will act with one heart, one mind and be single in our purpose to, to attain the vision that you set before us. Lord, if there's anybody in here that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, send them to me after the service. If there's anybody that needs healing in their body, I pray that they would receive it now. If there's anybody who has financial needs, I pray that they would whisper under their breath with all the conviction in their heart right now that God meets my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And I command and I drive out all sickness and disease in this place right now. You depart from here, you foul, wicked thing, you. We give you no place on the body of a born-again believer. Rise up in faith. Call those things which be not as though they were, my friends. God is for you. And He's supreme above all. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, that's it. <clears throat> Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.